Media Masters with Paul Blanchard. Welcome to Media Masters, a series of one-to-one interviews with people at the top of the media game. Today I'm joined by Darren Scott, editor of Gay Times, the longest-running, largest and most recognised LGBT magazine in the world. Darren began his career at Scotsman Publications and at Miller Veer's Prowler Group, becoming group features editor for several LGBT publications, including The Pink Paper, AXM and Diva. Joining Gay Times in 2009, Darren was responsible for the complete redesign of the publication and an annual increase in circulation, which today stands at 3 million worldwide. Darren has previously written for the Edinburgh Evening News and The Scotsman and was also contributing editor for the BBC's Doctor Who Insider. Darren, thank you for joining me. Thank you for having me. So, Darren, how did you get started in journalism? Well, it's a bit of a funny story. We've got all night, don't worry. That's great. <laughs> I, um, I was going out with somebody who had issues with his sexuality and he, he, he and I were arguing ever so slightly after a while, as you might imagine. And um, it had long, obviously been long been a pipe dream of mine to, to be a journalist, to do the things I've always dreamt about as a, as a, as a child. And uh, I think once he threw it back at me um, in an argument that I had always talked about wanting to be a journalist and wanting to go to university and have that kind of career. Uh, and I, at the time I was working for a pensions company in Scotland. And I said, right, fine, I'll apply for university if you will go and see somebody and get some help about this problem that you have. And um, to this day, I don't think he ever went to, to see a counsellor, but I certainly applied to university. And here I am with you now. What was the next step then? What came after university? Well, my university days were quite quite strange because I um, I was a mature student. So I think I was 28 but all the time while I was at university, I was really working quite hard. So I was writing for a number of publications. Um, I had uh, a very good friend of mine, Liam Rudden, who works for the Edinburgh Evening News to this day. He got me a foot in the door. He, um, When he heard that I was going to apply to go to Napier University to study journalism, he said to me, well, you know, get in touch with me and I'll help you out and maybe we can see if we can get you some reviewing gigs and that kind of stuff. So... Before I even started university, I had actually got my foot in the door and um, was working for Scotsman Publications and um, doing interviews and uh, writing reviews and all that kind of stuff. So that was kind of where I kind of thought my career path was going to go. And I thought I'd be very lucky to do that, to be honest. So, But while I was at university, I was um, I was always trying to do more and more and more. I was taking on quite a lot more than I possibly should have done. I, I like to work, so I've always been that way. And I decided that I um, was going to look a bit further afield and a job came up being a Scottish correspondent for Pink Paper, which at that time was possibly, I think, Britain's longest running news publication for um, uh, LGBT people. And um, so I got that job and I kind of, uh, you know, what do they say about the, the fish that they expand to the size of a pond, I think? Certainly I was trying to do that because I kept trying to make more of the opportunity. So I was trying to go and interview people when I, when they were coming to Scotland. I would go and seek out celebrities and interview them. And Did you feel at home there, writing about LGBT issues, that kind of paper? Yeah, it was fantastic. It, was, it had such great scope because they, obviously, being a London-based title, didn't really have anybody up in North Scotland. North of Hadrian's Wall. So it allowed me to 
to go in and start meeting people in that field and and um and telling their stories and perhaps sort of bringing them to the the front rather whereas they'd possibly get left behind you know i suppose it's easier when you're putting a face to that name rather than just being an email coming from somebody in scotland to mm. newspaper newspaper in london so yeah so i did that for a couple of years and by that point by the time i had expanded my own role and i was writing music reviews and um, interviewing celebrities and all that kind of stuff the um the company that owned pink paper asked if i would be interested in having a job permanently based in london so that was in the november of 2007 and i graduated in july of 2008 and i think she so was still studying throughout this yeah um wow you were busy then and i was also the editor of the university newspaper at the same time as well for wow two years, so no so. sleep for you then I think I slept quite heavily being a student and uh, partaking in a lot of things that students do, to be honest with you. Sounds like a well-rounded university experience to me. Uh, yeah, I, I miss it. I really do miss it. I had such a great time. And um, and actually, um, a lot of my contemporaries, Carrie is now the editor of Diva magazine and I was studying in um, the same year as her. So and that's quite funny that we both moved down to London and we're both, you know, editing these magazines. But um, yeah, so I, I graduated and I think I moved the next week down to London I just they yeah I had I had a job ready to come to so presumably that was a, a time in your life that was full of excitement and anticipation there you were making the big move it was a, a surreal experience because it, it, everything just happened so quickly and um I was really catapulted into this world that I didn't really know that much about because I'd obviously I'd never been an editor for anything apart from the student newspaper I was living the most ridiculous life. I mean, to go from what I thought would I'd be writing about cats stuck in trees for a local newspaper, which, you know, I was quite happy to do that. But then suddenly uh, I'm here in London interviewing some of the world's biggest stars and, and, um, and going to all these ridiculous, lavish press events that they have in London, which they don't really quite do on such a scale, maybe in Scotland. So, or, or anywhere out of London, frankly. Probably, yeah. You threw yourself into it both feet first, as it were. As I say, I'm Scottish, so I, I kind of saw a free bar as a challenge, really. And um, I, I didn't really consider that you should just stop. I think we should just keep going. If they're still serving it, just keep going. And um, I, I think I went from being a size small to being a size large quite quickly. Well, that's a, an enjoyable way to put on weight, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, it was fun. It was uh, it was crazy. But um, what was the what was top of your to do list then? What was the editorial challenge as you moved down? When when you when you got rid of your hangover, you know, every morning, and you thought, right, time to get on with some work. What what was on the to do list? Well, um, I for the first year when I was in uh, London, um, I worked as I say features editor on Pink Paper, so I had a, a small well, I say small section, but it, it it was a section that I kind of expanded more and more. I pushed it further and further, going, you know, what more can we do? How how much higher can I raise the profile of this title? Because prior to prior to myself joining the team, that perhaps hadn't been the focus of the title. It was very news led, um, but I wanted to bring in something a bit more commercial, and I wanted to make it a bit more mainstream, and to perhaps get certain people that perhaps wouldn't pick up the, the publication to pick it up. But that was always for my intention was to to up the the stakes when it came to the profile of people that you were featuring. So. A lot of the time before that, you'd have you know, local drag queens or things like that. Not that I'm saying there's, there's nothing wrong with local drag queens. But it was a kind of narrower demographic of yes. gay people. I wanted to open it up and, and um, I, I, 
I did. You know, I'm not. There's no two ways about that. I was bringing in um, Hollywood A-listers to be interviewed, and I was just because I was just I was like a dog with a bone, really trying to get these things and approaching publicists and and uh, raising the profile of a title that perhaps a lot of people hadn't really heard of before because it wasn't on their their lists. And didn't they see that as a huge opportunity to get on the radar of a, a group of readers that they hadn't connected with? I think perhaps at that time the company that I worked for. Uh, Milivia's Prouder Group, um, which is no longer with us, I think that it, it really wasn't focusing on um, trying to expand its its publications. I think there were other, it had other business interests. It had um, shops and online things that were going on. So they weren't really that interested, I felt, in the print side of, of things. So they hadn't really considered the implications of of, make, of of going down a celebrity path, for want of a better term, they would be very critical of of celebrity journalism. I think, and um, I was trying to say, well, actually, it's not about not necessarily about just celebrity. It's about commercial. It's about being commercial. It seems quite an incredibly naive view on their part. Yeah, I mean, it might be the benefit of hindsight and years later, but well, wow, why would they would they would be insane to turn that down? Well, when I first started, um, I remember one of my then colleagues saying something along the lines of. They they just they saw no point in me setting up various social media accounts. They were like, "Oh, we won't need that. We won't need that." And I kind of thought, "Well, you know, I should really do what I'm told." But then, never really been one to do that. So I just set them up anyway. And um, now, Gay Times has the largest social media um, reach of any LGBT brand. Um, you know, it has the largest amount of followers collectively. So I'm not saying that that's all all down to me, but. Um, if that hadn't been done, I think at that time we'd be would be playing, you know, a catch up. It does seem strange now when people think about that, but at that time they just weren't they weren't really considering considering that that was a problem. And also, Pink Paper had a website that was updated once every two weeks. It seems too often, as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> Which now you just think that's absolutely mad. But um, what year was this, though? In, in, in fairness to them, um, it was 2008. Well, all right then. Okay, not in fairness to them then. They they ought to have uh, got so, their act together by then. Yeah, you know. So I I was very much always arguing the task really, sort of like not to be difficult, but just to try and say we really need to push this forward. We really this is why this is so important. This is why we need to get to these people. But that that must have taken a toll on you as a as an employee and as a member of the team that there was you giving them good advice in their best interests, and it was falling on deaf ears. So I imagine you started to look elsewhere fairly soon then. I mean, I think people are always looking around to see what other options are open to them. But, you know, I'm still there. So um, I I think every time I felt that it's reached a glass ceiling with Gay Times, then things have changed. For example, like I talked about Milivia's Proud Group no longer existing, and that was earlier this year that that company went into administration and um, the magazine was bought out by an entrepreneur. So and it's now a, it's now a company that's solely dedicated to Gay Times. So, and that was a unique, opportunity i thought well actually there's a there's a something new to do here and and somebody that's actually going to acknowledge gay times properly and um it not to be the goose that laid the golden egg for other parts of another company to benefit from so who's a typical reader of gay times typically a man that enjoys the company of other men absolutely that's Um, a prerequisite (laughs) although is it well actually we we have a lot of um female readers now which i love I think that's I think that's brilliant. Um, I think that 
we're offering a magazine that they they really enjoy. Plus, it has a lot of um, eye candy for them, which I don't think you really get for women anymore. Like I think you used to get Playgirl. I'm getting which ones mixed up. I don't know. But beyond them being gay, bisexual, transgender, whatever it is that they might be, are there, are there anything else that unite them in terms of demographic? What's the the, the geographic focus? You know, are they, do they tend to be fairly affluent? Is that you, you must know that, that a typical or have a typical reader in mind as you're as you're writing the magazine? Actually, no, I've never had a typical reader in mind. I have always been. I've always said that we're we're open to everybody. Um, you know, I say from sixteen to sixty and beyond. Because why would I prejudice against? somebody that's 65 you know i think as well with people coming out younger and younger these days why limit it to 16 so i um i think probably our age range is um maybe mid 30s to late 40s maybe i'm not entirely sure i mean you've called gay times an indispensable resource for the modern man how do you go about achieving that there's a lot of sleepless nights <laughs> Um, I don't doubt it, but what else? Well, the thing the thing with Gay Times, it's so unique. I, I will never, ever work on a publication like this ever again um, because it's so broad. It features everything now. Certainly when I came on board in 2009 and then within about a year, I was the editor. When I look back on it now and think, wow, that's quite strange to have not long graduated university and suddenly you're editing the world's longest running gay magazine. But when I came on board, I, I was... I, I was determined to steer that ship, to turn it round, and that's a, a it's a big ship to turn around. Turn it round from where to where? Because it was very much a news publication, but that was it was born of a time when that needed that needed to be the case. It needed to be a news publication because gay men and other other members of the community were getting their news from Gay Times and you know, the previous incarnations of it, like Gay News and things like that. They were all. It was all very pre-internet age, and I think the company was very stuck in its its way of not wanting that to change. And it had certain I mean, elements to any, it. Any element of sexuality aside, personal ads. I mean, how dated is that? No one would do that in a current time. It's it's very it's very strange. But um, you know, I've seen quite a lot of change in the the almost almost a decade that I've worked. For. In fact, it will almost be a decade now. I think that I've worked on these titles, but um. I was determined to move that to 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 change the title because it was very news led and I didn't think that it shouldn't be I didn't think that you should remove the news from it but I I felt that you had to open it up and you had to have um celebrity covers you couldn't have you couldn't rely on models anymore and um you had to try and include lots of new things because the way that gay gay and bi men were living their lives has also changed because obviously now we have um you know uh, same sex marriage and there's um people um, you know, having families. And I think that perhaps the generation before thought, well, I'm, there's never going to be a chance for me to get married. I'm never going to get to have kids and all this kind of stuff. So it's 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 trying to fit so many things into one magazine and, and you only have a finite number of pages, printed pages. You just have to try and do what's happening that month. What's the biggest things? What's, you know, the most visual, striking? What's the, What are the stories that need to be told that month? You know what's going to sell if you put it on the shelf, and because obviously that's always the point of a magazine; it has to sell, and it can't just it can't just exist otherwise. Um, what's the point? But um, I think if you were to put all of my issues side by side for the last however many years, nine years, whatever, and started actually going through the content and see the actual mix of content, it's incredible. 
However, you can't have everything in every issue. There'll always be someone that says, oh, well, why haven't you written about this? And it's like, well, actually, we did six issues ago or, you know, three issues ago, or it is coming up again next month. There's so much to cover in there that it is it is quite complicated. I think I, I'm often quite envious of other magazines where they just think, you know, horse and hound, all they've got to write about is horses and hounds, you know. We have to split everything down and then do people all over the world and then we have to do... What, what's what's breaking news and try and move that story on in in terms of in a, a print way right because it's obviously we we on gaytimes.co.uk will break news and we'll tell stories as they're happening but in terms of print we have to be seen to be featuring these things because people will then say well why didn't you write about this that's often quite difficult when you're you know working quite far ahead and print deadlines and obviously news changes and everyone gets it immediately on twitter these days i remember somebody having a go at me over dinner once I had no idea who he was. He was um, yeah, a friend of friend of a friend, and he just started having a huge go at me because we weren't writing about what was happening in Russia and the Russian Olympics, and that we had a duty, and you know, swearing and getting really aggressive. And I just thought, well, I said, yeah, we did about eight months ago. We were the first gay press to write about it, but you clearly don't buy the magazine. You just want to have a go at me. So um seems a crushing bore, quite an unpleasant person. Well, I think that's certainly uh, ignorant. I think that I think that social media has had played a large part in that. Everyone's got an opinion now and uh, they they all they all think that you want to hear it and they all think that they can tell you how to do your job, which I find very interesting. I don't go around doing that to anybody else. Well indeed. How much of the content is is kind of predominantly of interest to gay people and how much of it could be in any in any general magazine that applies to you know any of any gender or sexuality that uh, that you might put your own unique view on that you might think well actually th- this could have been of interest to a, an even wider audience if it was in a, a more mainstream more broader magazine I would say all of it all of it is of interest to gay people um, but I get what you're saying the point of um, actually is it is it now more accessible to a mainstream or non-gay audience. And um, yeah, I think it very much is. I think that actually it's it's definitely now in its current incarnation a publication that you can have on a coffee table and it's not going to um, offend, perhaps, if that's the word you're looking for. I know that pre- in previous incarnations the content could have been quite raunchy. Some of the advertising certainly was not the kind of advertising that I wanted to be in Gay Times and I'm very glad that, you know, as part of under the time when I've been an editor that has finally gone away because there has been apparently every previous editor before me had that argument with the then management to try and remove certain types of advertising because you want to appeal to to everybody you know you don't want people to say oh I don't want that publication to be on my table or whatever so now it it is entirely accessible but that isn't to say that it's become a sanitized version of itself I think it's very important that you you have content that is accessible to everyone and they can enjoy it because it's it's fun and i think that as much as we re- report on very serious and heavy hitting um and often very 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 disturbing and upsetting you know i read things that have been um sent to us from around the world and they, because you know obviously gay rights is still it's still such a it's such a horrible situation for so many people that a lot of people have in britain perhaps take for granted um, or people assume on behalf of gay people that everything's fine now when it's not. Um, but I see, I get a lot of these features, and I, I, I it's it is really upsetting. But so they, those things are in there. But also, you do have the other stuff in there that you find that 
perhaps the celebrities maybe sell the publication slightly more than a current affairs feature, for example. Um, and I think that we have a, repu- a very good reputation where people want to be involved with Gay Times. They want to work with us because we're pleasant to work with, um, not problematic. Everything's a sort of a love letter, if you will, really. And that's not in a sycophantic way. I think it's just genuinely born from the fact that the people that are writing about these other people are are fans of their work. And, you know, some of the iconic people in LGBT culture that we've we've had the opportunity to speak with and to feature in the magazine. I'm not, I use the term celebrity quite loosely, I should say, in, in some terms. Uh, people of note, perhaps. Sometimes they are celebrities, sometimes they're actual stars. There's a difference. To be able to have spoken to some of these these fantastic people, and I know that my my colleagues would say the same. Um, it's humbling and um, uh, quite an uncanny experience, I think, to be able to come away from these people and to think, "Wow, you've made such a difference!" And if you can keep telling those stories and reminding people how how recently things have been quite bad in the UK, never mind talking about what's happening abroad, trying to remind people all the time. That's when I find it quite funny. There's all, there'll always be someone that says, why haven't you written about this? And you're like, yeah, we did. We did. It must be kind of an emotional rollercoaster, if you can put it that strongly, in terms of, like you say, you know, gay people have it relatively easy in this country in terms of, you know, their equal rights, gay marriage and so on. And we've, we've had quite a number of progressive campaigning politicians on either side of the political divide. But if you look at mm. how gay people are treated in other countries, it's, it's absolutely appalling. And it's quite easy for us to kind of pat ourselves on the back and say, yes, we're doing reasonably well here in terms of LGBT rights, but we have only 65 million people and mm. there's hundreds of millions of gay people around the world that are treated abysmally. Well, I think I think the rights issue is very interesting because people will say, well, you've got this, you've got that, what more do you need? And it's like, well, I, I actually <laughs> want to be treated like a, a, a human being. I want <laughs> exactly. to be treated as, as an equal. That's the point of equality. I think I read somewhere... Yeah, somewhere what more do you need? It's a terribly loaded well, yeah, it's, <laughs> question. Well, I just, you know, it's, it's like... You people co- should be grateful for what we've given you, But it is, it is almost... It's like that. And I don't, I don't think people realise quite what they're saying. And it's disgraceful. The, the, the point of equality is, is to be equal. Yeah. It's not... You don't, you, know, you don't just throw us some scraps and say, well, we make do with that. It's like, you know, and I know what you were saying about we do have it easy and we do to a degree, but people are, people are still being homophobically abused... People are still being viciously beaten in Britain. So that's happening all the time still. And um, I, think, I think things are marginally easier in Britain. But we should never forget that, um, that, the, that these things happen. And I think that by putting Gay Times into the mainstream, I think there are people that still wish perhaps that Gay Times and similar titles were... Were, were the kind of... More agitating, more, more campaigning vociferously. Yes, but I don't think that necessarily fits the format. I think that um, there is campaigning to be done. I think um, there are certainly there's some things that I've been speaking to the, um, the owner of the business about that I very much want to do. However, we are a very small team mm. and I think people need to realise that we are actually journalists, we're not activists. Even if people agree on the ends, that doesn't necessarily mean that they agree on the means. I remember uh, I watched The Hateful Eight the other day, the Quentin Tarantino film, and the villain in it, uh, spoiler alert listeners, is Jennifer Jason Leigh. She's a woman. And there's a big divide in the feminist community that said, well, this is wrong to portray a woman as evil and, you know, blah, blah, blah. And then there were other feminists that said, actually, that's the ultimate example of feminism, that 
that Quentin Tarantino felt he could write the villain as a woman because why should the villain always be a man? These days I find that someone's always going to take an opposing view and now everyone has a platform to project that view and I just try and blot out all of the noise, really. Seems sensible. Otherwise, you're never going to get everything right. So what do you do? Do you just not write about anything? Do you just, do you just not do? So I will... We will tell a story. I say I. It's not just it's not my, not just myself. Obviously, I have a, a deputy editor, Ryan, who who um, works very very closely with me because it's just the two of us that work full time on Gay Times editorial magazine. And there's an online team of three people who are round the clock, tip tap typing away. Every two weeks, they update the website. Could <laughs> <laughs> ah, you imagine? Oh, my boss would not be happy about that. What's um, the perfect story then? What's the perfect feature for Gay Times? You, 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 as you say, you've been doing this a long, long time and you're not a campaigner, you're a journalist, you're an editor. So, you know, speaking as an editor, mm. what's the kind of thing that you want to be running? You can be a campaigner and editor, but you can't, I don't think you can do the same, that, that job at the same time. So but, well, that's, what I'm, that's what I'm getting at is, you know, it's possible to, do, to be an activist and a journalist. However, you know, you're, we're talking about having a full, one full-time job. Absolutely. And my full-time job is being a journalist. One of my clients is a, a Russian, and he says there's an ancient Russian proverb that if you try to catch two rabbits at the same time, you won't catch either. I always like that. That's probably very true. Look at me thinking about how I can catch both rabbits there. <laughs> That's so typical of, uh, of me trying to make everything work at gay times uh, and keep it all running. I can catch both rabbits. You should watch me. An ideal feature, lots of lovely photos, as we would say, quoting absolutely fabulous. Um, so someone not unattractive. Well, yes, you know, again, you know, we come under fire for this, I think, but not just not just Go Times, but magazines generally, I think, and advertising campaigns come under fire for featuring handsome people. But it is it's how it's always been. Um, sex sells. That's why this podcast is so popular, frankly. Well, we're both sitting here naked, so <laughs> I just think people... That is need- true, listeners. People just need to um, realise that there's a reason people do people in businesses do what they do, and it's to keep the businesses going. And you know, we've all got bills to pay, we've all got you know rent, and we've, I've got a dog to feed. So, and I'm you know responsible for you know four other members of staff that I don't want to see out of a job. So of course we're going to do what's going to be popular. And sex does rate quite highly up there you know not unreasonably and it's not it, it, that's not that's just not a gay magazine thing that, that's an every magazine, magazine thing. thing how do your readers interact with you then i mean in terms of we've discussed what the demographic of a reader is but how do you want them to interact with you do they buy the magazine and then go on the website sort of two or three times a week because they're members of the newsletter do they follow you on twitter what are the touch points oh there's so much there's so it's everything now it's it's all i remember when i first started doing the social media for it i used to um I used to do it all in my spare time. We've never had a social media manager or anything like that at all. Myself and my then colleague Bob, we used to just do it ourselves on our phones and um, we used to answer people's questions and then it just got too much to handle because I think Twitter's something now like 370-odd thousand followers. Wow, that's incredible. Um, Instagram is 100, 100 and something thousand and Facebook is, I think, 1.4 or 1.5 million um, wow. Yeah. So I think if, if you were going to try and engage with all of that all the time... You couldn't. Yeah. <laughs> I'd be weeping into my muesli. But how do you monetize that? Because I imagine Instagram and Twitter, you know, you're going to put a tweet or put a picture out that something interesting is going to drive traffic to your site. But Facebook's different, of course. The, the advertisers advertising on the Gay Times Facebook page, their money will go to Facebook. 
How do you balance that in a sense of not doing Facebook's job for them to provide the Gay Times page with content that you can't monetize? Or do you have a partnership with them? I just go around and rattle a tin um, and <laughs> beg for beg for anyone to keep me in this job that I love so much. No, um, obviously we do have various um, business arrangements going on. Um, we... You know, is is anyone in bed with Facebook? I'm not sure. I know that we we certainly were able to get things via. Um, you know, the the traffic is quite heavy for us from from Facebook. So when it so the Facebook it, page is not a destination in its own right. You see that as as a as a marketing outreach thing to drive traffic to your site via the page. Yes. However, we do we do put bespoke or new or original content up onto Facebook. Um, we don't perhaps invest as much time in that. So that would be. We have a marketing department that do that. They will do visuals and and different magic moving pictures. It's all very um, it's all like witchcraft for me. Being, me too. Being a print journalist of old, like what are these kids doing? No, I, I mean I'm being sarcastic, but there's not as much put into that side of things as there is to pushing people to see to engage with us via. It's all pushing. It's all driving traffic really towards the GayTimes.co.uk website, which um you know I think it is. It's gorgeous. It's a really lovely, um, clean website, if that makes any sense. It doesn't feel like it's you're bom- being bombarded with... Um, You've curated the experience. It's very nice. Um, and I, I've wanted that for such a long time. I sound like such an old man but because I've been there for so long. And I remember the website not even being mobile enabled when we were working on it. And um, it was just ridiculous. And um, I imagine most people would view the site on their mobile now. Well, yeah, of course. Because of course. before mobile used to seem as an, an optional thing, but now it's the, yeah, the opposite. It, it? Totally the desktop's is. the optional. It absolutely is. Yeah, it really, really is. So um, the website's gorgeous. And um, Lewis, uh, who's our online editor, who used to work at Digital Spy, he came along and um, he's changed quite a lot and made it you know, so successful. I mean, it's, now we talked about the figures earlier on, and it's now over 3 million which is just fantastic to, to be getting that kind of traffic is yeah but so i'm also I'm, I'm 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 proud and i'm happy that um some of the biggest stories this year have actually been proper serious news and i think as i say you know people are often criticized for writing about sort of salacious things or celebrities without their clothes on you know it's not my fault celebrities get naked if they're going to do it i'm going to write about it Re- but, not unreasonably uh, um they just want the attention they love it so I think it's we off, we're often taken to task on, you know, why do you do this, why do you do this? And actually, I'm very happy to say that some of the biggest stories that we've written the, the, this year that have been um, published have been actual, proper, serious, hard-hitting, important news. And is that slightly prejudiced, that question, insofar as, you know, any other mainstream magazine would have a mixture of light and shade, a celebrity story, the odd salacious bit of gossip, and a hard-hitting feature? Why should Gay Times be any different? A very good point. Maybe you can um, respond to on social media for I could me. Do your PR for you. <laughs> exactly. I'll just tell them all to f off. Well, I'd love to, but no, I wouldn't. I'm, I'm kidding. I would never. I love. I love the readers. Uh, yeah, it's a good point. You know, but I think that I think that we're not we're not unique in that respect. That we're not the only ones getting flack for for certain things. I think that every every website and every newspaper and I'm not sure so about magazines. Really, I don't really look into it that much. I can't imagine. The ladies that take a break get much hassle. Who's your primary reader then in your mind? Is it someone who buys the magazine and occasionally goes on the website? Or is it, 
is it a web-first strategy? So, for example, mm. uh, a year or so ago, we had Jim Impoco, the editor-in-chief of Newsweek magazine, mm-hmm. and they went out of print famously and then went back into print. But he said, sitting in that chair, that he views the print version of the magazine as a physical banner ad and that the primary relationship that he wants with all of his readers is online. Mm-hmm. But if some of them want the legitimacy of being able to pick up a magazine in an airport yes. concession stand, then, then so be it. But he doesn't consider them the top priority. Um, that's actually really interesting because obviously I've gone through that whole journey of um, being very much about print uh, and very much about you know, glossy magazine experience and um, and working to deadlines. And obviously the online team don't have that because the, it's just an immediacy. It's, you know, it's what's happened that day it dictates how your day is going to go. And I came around very, very quickly so that once we had the proper tools to make gaytimes.co.uk actually the website that I that it needed to be that I wanted it to be it wasn't you know my 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 personal needs were not as important as what it should have been so it's very much now I um I work in tandem with the online team and I'm I'm often to be found saying okay well you guys get this out now and then we can do a lovely follow-up thing in print later um I always want the print version of gay times to exist regardless of whether or not I'm there I mean please help me I can't be there in 40 years time but uh, I think that it has to like I say it has to evolve it has to adapt it has to keep surviving so that there's always something for the next generation that's not a Star Trek dig but I think it it should exist and I don't think it should just be a website however the website is essential to Gay Times now Gay Times could not exist without that website and do you think that the print version of the magazine confers a legitimacy on the website that, um, you know, because there are hundreds of website only? I mean, for example, Digital Spies, you mentioned, uh, it's a great website, but it doesn't have that, that print hinterland, yes. does it? It's funny, actually, because Lewis, has, uh, he said to me recently that he had, because he worked at Digital Spy, he'd never worked on a website that also had a magazine that goes with it. I've never not. I've only, that's all I've ever known. So, admittedly, when I first started working on the website it wasn't very good so it is a it is a strange and it's also it's almost unique you know there aren't many is everything that's in the magazine the print magazine available online is it a kind of guardian model where Mm. you know you can buy the physical paper but actually you've no need to if you if you skint that day because every single word that's in the print edition is also online no i've got a doctor feed i told you there are there are two very different entities but we both feed into one another so Lewis and Daniel and William, who work online, will be able to say to me, these things are performing extremely well. Perhaps you should consider reaching out to these people. And then I will go and suggest that we do a cover shoot or, you know, lovely, lovely feature. And there is, a, like you say, a legitimacy, I think, in certain people's minds because PRs and agents want to be in glossy print. However... I'm now working with a lot of publicists that I was working with five or six years ago whose their focus then was, no, it's just print, it's just print, it's just print. Now they, they want, they see the figures that Gay Times have got on social and online and that they want that. And so often sometimes we'll tag on and say, oh, can we have something for print? You know, so, but we'll also, we set up um, big and sometimes too ambitious photo shoots with the the real intention is yes we're going to get a lovely spread for print but also there's opportunities for the online team to go and film material 
um, to go and do interviews, to capture as much as we can. I think, it, again, it's that, that Scottishness of me. I want to get as much as I can from each experience. You know, it drives traffic, you know, and also like you were talking about monetizing things and, and having our YouTube traffic, uh, having the videos on YouTube. Perhaps a lot of people who um, interact with Gay Times, they don't buy the magazine, but they are in part contributing in a way to our to our keep, it's, keeping it's this all going. to write you a check. By l- clicking on the video, because they don't maybe they don't want to read a ten-page feature on somebody, but they quite happily watch a one-minute video of them undressing for a photo shoot, which is very good journalism. Uh, as long as it's lit properly, and uh, <laughs> you know, you can ask them about the environment at the end. I'm sure it is good journalism. <laughs> What's a typical week for you? It's one of my very long. favorite questions. But I mean, give us a give us a typical week. You've said it's long. What else is it? Uh, long, stressful, argumentative, fun. I get. I mean, I go to a lot of um, launches and things like that to try and keep myself slightly sane. How are you uh, not morbidly obese then? If you're, if you're at the, all these receptions, why well, I imagine the the canapes and the booze are still flowing. See, listeners, he's being very kind. I told you we were naked. He's just being polite. <laughs> How am I not morbidly obese? Well, not obese at all, of course. Uh, I don't know that you're getting into a whole conversation about body issues now, and I'll get I'll get um, knocked down online for that too. Um, but I imagine you go to a lot of events where there's free wine, free canapes, and all this kind of thing. Is that is that what you meant by kind of getting out of the office and getting out and about? Oh, dinner, you mean? Well, <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were a journalist. That, yeah, yeah, is that yeah. What you're the journalist it? dinner. Can- it's canapes. so true. It's yeah. so true. Readers or oh, canapes, as one of my uh, yes. editor friends calls them. I'm not sure whether he means it hyper-ironically as well. but anyway. um, Actually, I mean, I, I don't go to as many things as I, as I used to. When I was saying when I first moved to London, I, the whole world exploded for me and it was great. I was like a kid in a sweet shop. And now I'm um, I'm slightly older. And um, I, I have the responsibility of um, my fairy child, Toby the Pug, who I got as a result of working on the magazine. I did a feature with the Dogs Trust and then I ended up... With a dog? With a dog. Wow. They didn't just send it over, you know, they, yeah. they, they were just like, thanks, thanks for the feature. <laughs> Although I heard a story, actually, someone did tell me a PR stunt, they, they and I, I don't know if this is true, but I loved it, it's a great story. There's a PR stunt, they sent every, the journalists um, goldfish in a bag, and people would, would come back from holidays and find, and find <laughs> this dead fish on the table. <laughs> I just sent oh, them the dead fish. Terrible. Actually, sending a dead fish is, 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 might be quite handy, like, you use that as a threat, couldn't you? Here's a, a dead fish from Darren at Gay Times. Um, no, I, I, I did... Um, I, it was a long, drawn-out process of working with the Dogs Trust and um, rehoming this dog who is now the focus of my whole life, ridiculously. Yeah, it rehoming does, the dog it, with you. It does change everything. You are the home that but, it was rehomed in. But he comes to work with me every day, so oh. and he, go, he goes to loads of events. So actually, he's become like a sort of journalist himself because he's always watching the um, the door to see when the, the waiter's going to come in with the tray, you know, watching the kitchen door. He knows. And then, of course, the waiters are always feeding the dog, so... He lives a, a very, very good life, Toby. The pug. It sounds like he does. Good yeah. little Toby. So what's yeah. next for you and Toby then? In terms of, you know, you've been at GT for a long time. Do you, do you want to stay there for another 100 years? Or if you don't mind me asking, what, what's next? Maybe I should stay there for another 100 years like, out of spite. And just, <laughs> yes. I actually, I think I, I think I said, oh, you know, once I meet Cher, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to leave Gay Times. And then I met her and I said to my friend, you know what, I'm just going to stay out of spite now. She is lovely. She is lovely. She was very kind to meet me for no no other reason but the, the fact that I just wanted to meet her. Um, and she had a stinking cold 
And um, but she was, yeah, she was absolutely lovely. More of that, I think, would be great. What's next for me? Probably more stalking of Cher. Um, Not unreasonable. <laughs> Where do you want to take the role of editor? I mean, I know as managing editor, you've cut brand partnership deals and you manage the budgets. You know, what have you learned about making journalism pay from the business side? Well, actually, I think that now they have we have a more extended team in the Gay Times office that now looking at that kind of stuff. So whereas I would have been more involved with that in the past, thankfully, there's now a team of people that are um, that's their special skill. So, great. so there's Chinese walls. Between you. I don't know what that means, sorry. Well, in terms of, because in the old days you would have an advertising department and then you would have the editorial, whereas now in lots of specialist publications there's advertorials where the editors will get involved in, you know, writing that with their byline. There will be brand partnerships. Yes. uh, That kind of thing, really. There's certainly more of that. I'm not that heavily involved with that, whereas I would have been before, or rather I would have expected to have been before and that wasn't necessarily my specialist area. Um, I'm always very happy. I'm very, very hands-on with Gay Times. But I never really want to uh, tread on somebody else's toes in that respect because, you know, you should be letting people do what they're very good at and letting them flourish in that role, I think. And I think that that courtesy should always be afforded the other way as well. So I mean, I'm confident that that's something that, that Gay Times will continue to do. I think that it's certainly Gay Times is expanding into areas that were never even dreamed of when I first joined, which is fantastic. And I think there's never been a better time to do it. But I certainly, for me... It allows me, I feel, to almost not... I say step back sounds like the wrong thing, but it allows me to refocus on producing a magazine because it's a lot of work. And I don't don't think people really, unless you're in the industry, I don't think people really acknowledge that. A lot of people still think to me that I just have like this make-believe fun job that, you know... Turn up at 11, editorial conference, long lunch. And there are jokes to be made from that. And I know that... Things like, you know, Absolutely Fabulous and what have you, and Ugly Betty and everything. Yes, they're very funny, but actually it's a lot of work. It's a lot of admin. You know, I've, I've gone from being a, a journalist um, and a section editor to being somebody that deals with lots of admin. Yeah. And that was never really where I saw my career path going. Chris Blackhurst, when he was editor of The Independent on Sunday, he sat in that chair a couple of years ago and he said, the job of editor is actually hell. He said there's loads of HR issues, stuff that he's not equipped to deal with emotionally or intellectually and doesn't even want to deal with. Well, he said a I... lot of the job of, yeah, he said you might get uh, an upgrade on your tickets to the opera once every six weeks because you're the editor of a national newspaper. He said, but other than that, it was all hell. I wouldn't disagree with him. <laughs> um, I have I have a great time. And like you say, I do get tickets upgraded to the opera. I don't go to the opera. I went to see Bucks Biz. But yeah, it is. It's not quite what I think people think it is, and I think certainly it's less glamorous. I think yeah. people we can agree on. Yes, it's 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 not it's not glamorous. It's a lot of um, work, and it's very stressful. And I'm not saying, oh, poor me. You know, I know that people do far worse jobs, and that, that are actually really really important. And but it is a lot. It is very stressful, but also very satisfying when you when something happens and you get it you get it right. You know, I mean, as at the moment. Obviously, we're in a recording studio and you've asked me to turn my phone off, but I'm thinking, oh, my God, I'm waiting for an email from L.A. about an interview that I need to do because I need to go to press next week and it's the cover. And well, We've only got a few minutes of the metaphorical tape left anyway, so don't you be able to <laughs> switch your phone on soon. Oh. What's been the best day of your career so far and what's been the worst? The worst is probably being here. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I'm really... I don't think anyone's ever actually put it that obviously before. So that's, you get brownie points already. <laughs> I'm genuinely being sarcastic. Um, I, I do get told off for um, the way I say things. 
I think you ruined that by apologising. But anyway, well, that's because we were talking good. About, you were talking <laughs> earlier on about things being meta and explaining jokes and not. Uh, what's been the best of my life? Oh, that's, this is going to sound really stereotypical, but I am Madonna. Wow. <laughs> but actually, what's funny for me is because growing up loving magazines, like I loved Smash Hits, I loved Number One. We've had the editor, the founding editor of Smash Hits sitting in that very chair. Oh, Barry McElhenney, and he's a legend as well. Amazing. See, I love that. And I've always said, you know, I, w- I would want Gay Times to be like Smash Hits. And not, that doesn't, and I think people can, that can be misconstrued as not being very serious, but... There's one feature in there that's a blatant rip-off of, of Smash It's. We have a thing called Sweetie Darling where we get celebrities to stick their hand in a sweet jar and pull out questions. And um, it's just ripped off from the um, Smash It's biscuit tin. Because they had, they had so much. But they, they did have really, really great journalism. And it launched the careers of so many great journalists. So growing up being a fan of those kinds of magazines... Didn't Neil Tennant write for Smash It's? Yeah, he was the editor. That's right. Yeah, and he gave it up to be a pop star. So that's what I'm going to do next, is be a pop star. Me and Toby... Toby the Pug. Toby the Pug and me. <laughs> and what, what's going to be your first song? You're not going to do a cover of Kung Fu Fighting or something, are you? What? It needs to be something quite catchy. I don't know. I mean, maybe we could be like the Pet Shop Boys because obviously, you know, Toby would sit at the back looking quite grumpy <laughs> about everything. <laughs> so what advice, final question then, what advice would you give to uh, someone who's just, who's a mature student or studying a journalism degree or whatever it is and they want to be the next Gay Times editor? Whenever you're ready to move on, of course, there's going to be no... Uh, no kind of House of Cards style toppling of you, but what would they need to be doing to become the next you? Yeah, I wouldn't say House of Cards. In, in the world of gay times, we would say Showgirls. I don't know if you've ever seen that movie. Sure. Wow, that was, is that, that's, that's a Joe Esterhaus film, isn't it? That was, is that the one with Cal McLaughlin and her uh, yes. off of Saved by the Bell? Yes. I watched that years and years ago. Purely for research purposes only. You and I probably watched it for very different reasons. <laughs> yes, I would say so. Well, who knows? Uh, but yeah, there's a very, there's an amazing scene in that where um, she she, put, she throws beads on the floor of the dancer in front of her, so she tumbles and she takes her job. So we always joke about that. I, and I always, um, I always, I would always joke to my deputy editor that I would always walk behind him so that. He, but now I don't think he would thank me for this job. So um, <laughs> yeah. I think he's like, no, no, you keep it. I don't want to do what you have to do. My advice to anyone who is going to be a who's studying journalism, don't do it for the money, I would say. Get used to your meals coming round in small portions on a tray served by people who are probably a fraction of your age. It sounds uh, like prison so far. I imagine you are, you know... <laughs> <laughs> well, I've watched enough women in prison, prison dramas Calvary, to know... Prison like Orange is the New Black or something. I've watched enough women in prison dramas to know that I could take anybody on that wants to come from my job. So um, Absolutely, me too. Um, I would just say, I, I think that practical experience is the most important thing because I get so many people coming to me and saying, oh, you know, what, what should I do? Da, 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 and they've graduated already. And I think it's too late. You know, you needed to be getting out there and getting your name and just speaking to people and offering to do whatever it needs to be done really i mean i wasn't initially getting paid to to do the writing that i was doing and then sh- slowly but surely i did and i'm not, not i'm not saying that people should work for free but sometimes you need to get your, your foot in the door but i think just just to care i just care about it because at the heart of it all i care about making magazines i i mean people that know me will will, will say that i put far 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 too much into it and it's the same as um ryan my deputy he with two people that are very, very, very passionate about making magazines and and the journalism being good, 
So I think you have to care. I don't think it's not enough to just say, oh, I want to do this and not be prepared to put in the hours. And um, so I, I mean, maybe my, maybe my advice would be think carefully. Seems sensible advice upon which to end this podcast. Darren, it's been a blast. Thank you ever so much for your time. Thank you. A Right Angles podcast in association with Big Things Media.